What is the relationship between purpose and success? And I thought I knew. I thought that once you pursued purpose, success didn't matter. Well, it's still a business. Uh, we're still human. We still need feedback on, is what I'm doing right? Is it working right? So I've kind of have had to redesign my, my success metrics. And what I would say is that I'm just feeling the weight of the currency of purpose and impact and getting my head around it. You're listening to another episode of Success with Purpose, where we hold conversations with the most holistically successful people we have the opportunity to connect with. We explore their journeys, their life-changing events, their perspectives, their mindset, and most importantly, their purpose. I'm Harry Goldberg, host, interviewer, and interrogator of this podcast, father of the most incredible daughter in the world, husband of an incredible woman, and director and empowerment coach at Purpose Advisory. Hope you enjoy this episode, and don't forget to subscribe and like below. Now, let's begin. So Nathan, you're purpose-driven, passion-focused. You've had quite a curious career. So naturally, when you were referred to come onto this podcast by a mutual friend of ours, I became really excited for the conversation. So uh, your career, after a couple of sales and management roles in 2005, you ended up moving to potential recruitment as a consultant, worked your way up over the next 17 years to leadership, and now board chair. But what's really fascinating about your career is that since 2017, you've simultaneously been a key investor at six startups, board member at four companies, co-founder of Humi Group, an independent Kiwi Innovation Network, and CEO of RIA. And then to top all that off, you're a proud dad, and you've been with, as you put it, the same beautiful woman for 27 years, married for 15. Off the back of all of that, how do you define success? Well, it's, it's changed a lot over time. I mean... You know, I think to begin with, I was probably like everybody else, you know, proving I was worth something. And you will perhaps get into some of that later, but um, that's the thing that really drove me. So I just wanted to prove I was worth something. And that, you know, that's this this system of success that, you know, we're, we're all meant to kind of um, abide and understand. Um, and if we really get the, you know, our dots lined up, then we can kind of figure out how to play that game well. So, you know, what you've just described is me figuring out how to do that over like a 20 year period of time. Um, and I just kind of, I figured out myself and, um, you know, I wish it hadn't taken 20 years, but it probably took 15, to be honest. I think the last five years have been quite different, but, you know, it, it really took 15 years of just trying to just figure this game out and what are all the parameters and like, why am I doing it? What, what matters to me? Um, and I didn't necessarily think about things in this way. I lived into what I'm about to share, but I didn't necessarily have it kind of so elegantly worded. But these are definitely concepts that were super important to me throughout. So I think I have generally defined success as living in that balance point between the need to create sufficient resources to live the life of your choice with happiness, health and purpose. Um, and the other aspect to me, which is super important, is while realizing your potential. So I think it's possible to, you know, fulfill that definition of, definition of success for some people without them necessarily needing to try too hard. For me, it's super important. Success is totally, um, you know, defined and, and contributed to by how much you had to stretch yourself, how much you've had to adapt um, and grow in order to get to where you are. Okay, so it's not about the 
the needs of your own that you're able to meet or the resources you get, or even just the balancing that with happiness and then realizing potential. It's about how hard you've had to work or how hard you've had to push yourself or how much you've had to grow in order yeah. to to experience life the way you want to experience it. Yeah, I've always had a little bit of a mantra that growth is on the other side of pain. Pretty much everything I've done, that's that's true. I love exercise. I've adapted and grown well when there's been pain. Um, my greatest achievements professionally have been, there's been some serious pain, like, you know, some ugly moments. I'd rather not have to live them again. But looking back, I would, given the what I gained from it, given how much I grew through it, I'd, I'd totally do, do all of those hideous, emotional, you know, <laughs> stressful times all over again if I had to. But does that only work when you know that you're going to get benefit on the other side? Well, that's the that's the test of your faith, isn't it? So, um, I mean, I guess, you know, piling into something and, and really giving it everything and trawling, you know, like climbing and, and crawling your way through adversity would be a really dumb idea if you didn't have a sense of calibration that said that's actually leading somewhere good. Because if you haven't got that calibration, it could be leading to just more pain and complete abject failure. So I think there's a level of calibration that needs to happen for you to go, this is the right kind of pain. If I keep doing this, I will grow and I will enjoy the spoils at some point. What do you mean by calibration? I use this word a lot. So, you know, I think it's kind of like a first principles thing. Something happens, we have a response. Is our response to the thing that happened the same thing? Whether it's a color we see and perceive, whether it's a behavior that we exhibit that we then see the, the effect of in someone else. We just, we need to calibrate so we can try stuff, but we really need to kind of go, is my perception of it what really happened? Because if it is, then I've got a, a really good sense of what will happen next time. I think fundamentally, so much of life in my view anyway, is about you know trying to create predictable outcomes, you know, trying to understand it well enough, trying to calibrate well enough so that when I do something, the thing that I want to happen or expect to happen will happen. Or the thing, avoiding the things that if I do that thing, it's going to be the outcome that I don't want. So it's either you know, going towards those rewards or avoiding the pain. So, the, you know, the wrong kind of pain. So this calibration is your ability to align your perception with reality so that mm. when it comes time to take action, mm. that you have a more confident way of being able to predict where, yeah. where the outcome is going to land. What the outcome will be, yeah. And I mean, you know, not doing it alone. I mean, very few of us can live a life with defined in the way that we each define success without a whole shitload of other people to kind of contribute to that or to navigate with or around. So, you know, I think it's getting that feedback from others too. And I think, you know, one thing I've learned over time is not to hang my hat too much on that. It's super important to get that feedback. But again, just calibrating which of that feedback you take on board and which of it you you filter. So it's just another example of that kind of calibration activity. All right. So let, let's dive more into this calibration. It sounds like a really core part of of your psyche and what's led you to the success that you've had so far as well uh, so you've just mentioned that one way to calibrate is by having some people around you to give you some more perspectives mm. uh, anyone everyone or specific people you choose yeah look um it depends on the scenario right 
I mean, um, getting a kind of a, a an almost anonymized group response is useful. I think it's even more valuable when it's people whose opinion and whose perceptions you really respect, where you've got that trust, where you know the quality of the information that you're getting back about the thing that's happened is top notch. It's much easier to work with really good information, you know, to figure out how you tailor or you calibrate what it is you do or how it is you behave. Yeah, cool. So you just choose different people for different areas which you're working on or are there some people you just go to for everything? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I've got a friend who's he's like a polymath. So uh, his name's Abanesh. I wouldn't be surprised if a friend of mine who was on your show, Josh, mentioned him as well. He's, a, he's an exceptional person. He knows a lot about a lot of things. Um, and so, you know, ideal kind of person to have in your stable to kind of give you some feedback. He's also very kind of emotionally and switched on from an EQ perspective. So that really helps. But there are, there are you know, there's groups of people who I look to and who look to me for different things. Um, it's awesome if some of those people are in common and, you know, they, they tend to play a role in you understanding and calibrating against the world more often. Um, but it really depends on the domain. So are these relationships you have, or are they mentors or advisors? Who are they? I've never, I, I guess a couple of them could be described as, as mentors. Um, I've never really sought out, I haven't really ever, um, which is interesting given what we're talking about, but I've, I've never really sought out a mentor in a, in a structured way. And yet I love being a mentor in a structured way for others. Right. <laughs> And, you know, whether there's some kind of shadow there or not, I'm not sure, but it's kind of served me well. I have just kind of continued to, to look to discover, you know, what it is that I've needed to know without having too many people shortcut that for me in a formal way. But over the last probably three or four years, especially, there are people that kind of hold a place and there might be a little bit more formality, but it wouldn't be what I would call kind of a, a, you know, a structured, formalized mentor-mentee kind of relationship. So can you give me an example you don't have to give the specifics if it's, if it's sensitive, but where you've had a challenge or something's come up and you've realized that you've got to calibrate, right? Your perception's not aligned with your reality. Yeah. And how have you calibrated? Or I'm unsure whether my, you know, your instincts tell you one yeah, thing, okay. but you're like, they better be right. Because I think what these, this, these calibrations boil down to, I call them instincts. Um, another way to describe them would be heuristics, these kind of rules of thumb, these patterns that where you recognize the pattern, you kind of apply that thing. Um, so look, a really good example would be um, a particular kind of uh, early stage deal that I might be on one, one or the other side of. Either I'm the investor or I'm attracting investor funds. And there might just be a particular scenario that comes up and I can get the legal view. So I've got some really amazing legal support, people I really trust who have you know, been with me for a long time. But that's not what I want. I kind of want the, you know, here's all the options. What would you do here? Because this is a slightly unique scenario. So I would, I know who that those people would be. There's just about two of them. I would get on the phone to them right away. I'd drop them a note. When I do that, they know that it's one of those moments and, and it's often reciprocated where I need some information. I need a small amount of deep expertise really fast. I think that's the key, isn't it? Small amount, it doesn't need to be a lot, but it's gotta be deep expertise. I just need an answer, I need to calibrate for me. Um, they realize the urgency, they drop everything. They give me that calibration. 
I learned something from it. And now it's formed, you know, the, almost the draft of my, um, that instinct or that heuristic that I could use in the future. Once I apply it and see the outcome and see the response and see whether, you know, we really achieve what we wanted to, that's another bit of calibration. You know, the advice, you apply it, you see what happens, you like the outcome, if the calibration feeds back and, you know, that, that pattern deepens in, in your decision-making process in the future. So as that pattern deepens, then those relationships with those people deepen as well? It's a good question. Yeah, the respect, yeah, they do. They really do. And, you know, uh, there may not be that many of those um, exchanges. There might be, you know, a dozen, I think, would be quite a lot. But those are a dozen moments where I really needed somebody, where I didn't have the expertise that I needed. I borrowed from their life experience. I mean, that's... It's an incredible gift. That's not just some kind of throwaway, oh, here's a bit of advice. They've really shortcut the risk, the pain, the potential failure for me by sharing that thing that may have taken them years to, to develop. I love that. I really respect that. Um, and when it happens to me and others kind of come to me, I guess I also have a bit of an expectation that they'll treat that what has happened, that exchange, and the value that it provides in the same way. There's a kind of there's something a little bit sacred about it. You've you've got to really mark the time as there's a special moment where somebody really gave something significant of themselves. They didn't just give advice. Yeah. Okay. So where, where's the difference between that giving advice versus giving something really significant of themselves? I wonder if it's um maybe it's the intent with which it's given. Um, maybe it's the there's a there's an answer. Some things are black and white. You know, some things are just a, a, a fact. There's a question, there's a fact, you get an answer. Thanks, I now have that fact, thank you. When it's when it's the combination of years of experience, some pain, them taking risk, um, them go, diving deep into many versions of the same kind of document to see the differences between them and to figure out whether, you know, what the right path around a particular clause of a contract or something is, they're really bottling up for you a significant part of their experience. So. I think you can just tell, you know, it's not like, oh, here's the fact, the answer is three. It's here's the context. These are the things you need to think about. When I apply my value system to those, this is the way I would make that decision. Here's the way that you could use it. That's kind of not, that's often how it will play out. It isn't just a, uh, an answer. It's not, it's not binary. Because that's interesting because now when I reflect on what you shared about growth is on the other side of pain. It doesn't necessarily have to be your pain that the growth is on the other side of, right? You can have growth on the, on the back of <laughs> someone else's pain. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And so, hey, look, if, if the alternative was me going through that pain and me getting into a partnership that failed and having to, you know, deal with the consequences of doing that, but I don't because they've done that, wow. I, that's why you know, I treat it with the respect that it deserves. Right. And so that's interesting, right? Because a lot of people, when they're, when they're looking at their, their future journey and they've got this mantra of like, you know, no pain, no gain. I've, I've got to have this. I've got to be able to go through these tough times and hustle and grind in order to, to get the best outcome. Yeah. Uh, they often don't realize that pain isn't, isn't a prerequisite. You don't have to have pain. Mm. It sounds like the way that you're describing it is that. Uh, pain, whenever you have it, will lead to growth. But it doesn't yeah. mean that you seek it out. Prepared for pain. Prepared for pain. If that's the best solution, some things you just have to live. 
you've got to live it in your skin. It's got to be in your skin. Even the best person, you trust them. It's like, great, thank you for preparing me. I've still got to kind of walk. I've got to walk through that valley myself. So I think it just depends on the nature of the thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, fundamentally, you're right. Uh, it doesn't have to be your pain, but you've got to be prepared to. What I wouldn't say respect or I wouldn't capture my definition of success is where you can achieve the same things by doing it entirely through other people's pain. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really kind of align with my value system. <laughs> so so why why not right because you've you've had a whole lot of pain yourself and you're there supporting them when they're mm. going through challenging times and you can help them avoid pain mm. like isn't that just mutually beneficial where if you could go through something and not have any pain at all but you're growing off the back of all these other people's pain yeah and they're only sharing that with you because you're sharing with them from past pain that you've experienced yeah yeah like I would say, I would agree with you to the extent that it's possible. Right. Um, but I think, you know, it, it isn't always possible to, no. to kind of hack life to quite that extent. Um, I also think, that I think there's a bit for me around if you always seek that short, smart path, it's someone else's, you know, pain expense. How might that not serve you? in that moment when you really do need to tread that path yourself? Or will you simply keep looking for someone to shorten path and lighten your load? Because I, I just don't, that's just not how it works. Um, and I think, you know, how would you decide if you were that person? How would you decide, this is one of those moments I'm going to walk this myself, or I'm just going to keep looking until I can find some schmuck who uh, will share their life experience, even though I may not yet deserve it because I don't really know them that well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So how do you decide? Well, I haven't needed to because right. I've put myself through that pain first. So if I kind of look at it, and I kind of alluded to it before, I, I certainly took the kind of the harder path to get to where I am. I probably could have shortcutted things um, by a, applying these kinds of approaches or principles around things. I wouldn't do it any other way. But again, that's my kind of, I feel like I've, you know, it's interesting. I feel like I deserve what I have as a consequence of, treading that path and going through all of that pain and adversity i've i've earned the right to you know what it is that i've achieved okay and so would i would i feel that way if um you know i'd been able to kind of achieve the same thing largely vicariously through other people's learnings i don't know i mean i guess it's just a different set of parameters around it's the same game it's a slightly different strategy as to how it is that you realize your role or maximize your role in that game so I think there would be a way to respect it and keep your values intact. Yeah, okay. So how does this how does this apply to the way that you act now in mm. all the deals and the investing and everything which you're working on uh, versus how you would have acted five years ago? Are you more likely to to lean on the advice and the experiences and the the learnings from the pain of others? <laughs> I think there's a few parts to that answer. Um, Number one, the short answer is, yeah, I think I would. I'm more likely to, I've got a better network. I've got more credits in that network because I've reciprocated with a number of people a number of times. Yeah, I, I think I would probably, I'm better at filtering the things I don't need to do. I have this kind of view where, and I've had a bunch of conversations in recent months where we talked about these patterns, these kind of heuristics, the instincts, whatever you want to call them. In my world, those are facts. And you'll ha you have your own version of those. Those are facts. 
the patterns that you apply and then you get this really solid outcome most of the time. So that's, that stuff's really solid. Um, I think one of the risks is as we get older and we've, we develop more of these things, we can fall into the trap of kind of going, you know, we kind of taper off in terms of our, you know, a desire to either tune those facts, those patterns, or to acquire more of them. And we're less likely to believe that there's a better one out there. So I think the kind of second part to my answer is, you know, you have to, I think it's really important that we believe we continue to need to adapt and grow and that we don't know it all, even if some of our patterns and our approaches really, really work well. They've worked well in the past, they may work well in the future, but we're in a very dynamic environment. So being, you know, I, I think it's challenging because it's not necessarily about ego, but it is about ego. Part of it is just, you know, the experiment of life. But part of it is our ego tells us that actually you know this stuff, so don't go ask someone else for it. You already know the answer. And I think that's a really limiting. If, if we believe that, I think that's really limiting. So I really, you know, I'm very active in, in that space. I've been in it for the last six months of kind of going, I know all this stuff. I need to continue to look at other ways of doing things and other people's experiences with similar subject matter, or, or maybe they've got that experience and I don't. I need to figure out and challenge my own beliefs and, and you know, what, a, what the right kind of solution or approach to something is. I've still got confidence in those things, but I've got an open-mindedness to kind of almost doing a bit of a compare, compare mine with theirs. What's the difference? What, is, what are some of the angles that they're looking at that I'm not looking at? Could I adopt some of that? Do I toast mine and adopt all of theirs? And I think... You know, I really fundamentally believe that we are meant to be, you know, to keep us young, to keep us sharp. We need to continue to adapt. It's every part of us, a cellular level, um, our physicality, our minds, cerebrally, socially. We need to continue to adapt. Then we're never really dying. Cool. There's so, there's so much that you shared there uh, to unpack. Uh, but the main main question I have from there is how do you keep that ego in check? So I've got a kind of a... Um, I have a funny relationship with ego, but I know what my relationship is with it. And I wonder, you know, I, I meet people and I can see they either, they've got a relationship with it. I don't know how, how kind of much they understand their relationship with their ego. I've been kind of chasing my ego away for years. I've been seeking the kind of the, either the, the pause, the suspension or the death of the ego. I don't, for me personally, I don't think it serves me super well. But if I hadn't had enough ego, I don't believe I would have achieved what I what I have. Um, now, you know, I honestly don't believe that I ego plays much of a role in my life. Hasn't done for about the last twelve to fifteen months. Um, it's not about me, and you know, I'm solid enough in myself. I'd rather do things that really didn't where my ego didn't really play a role it wasn't really factored what changed you're familiar with you know this concept of the shadow uh from a union perspective yeah, we'll have yeah. A, we've got a shadow right and i think yeah. um the question is is how much do we understand our shadow we probably all have a shadow but how much do we understand it and what is our relationship with that shadow the sooner we can understand what that shadow is the sooner we can manage it and we can kind of recognize when that part of ourselves is playing out and we can adapt accordingly and those around us can as well 
I was aware I had a shadow. I've kind of been an interesting, you know, and kind of a privileged place. I have a mum. So I have an amazing relationship with my mum, Gail. Amazing woman. Um, you know, most of my values, those foundational ones that come from her. I have dad I haven't spoken to in more than 25 years. I don't know where he is. So she's been the greatest contributor to fundamentally this foundational sense of who I am. Um, she's a psychotherapist. Um, you know, she's, you know, I've kind of inherited, or it was in, you know, kai ho wayu, as we say in Māori, you know, the, the, the gift of the mother's milk. It was one of the two or both. And um, I've had this ability to understand people reasonably well. And, you know, so I've had, probably had a greater understanding of myself than most would have if they didn't have a gale in their lives. Um, there's its limitations, though. Uh, you know, when you kind of, if you like, your psychotherapist is your mum. <laughs> I was going to say, that would have made an and interesting yeah. teenager. <laughs> and if you've, you know, if you might have dad issues, which, which so many people do, and you know, I thought maybe I do, it would make sense. She's probably not the person to be able to help me, you know, understand those those issues. So, you know, understanding there was the shadow, a void, whatever you want to call it. I kind of figured that out in about October, November of uh, 2020. And so I'd never been to a, you know, a, a therapist or a psychologist other than my mum. And that, you know, was in kind of casual conversation. So I was like, I was in a good place too. I was in a really good place. And it was almost seemed like the best time to go and kind of dig into the shadow. So I like booked in and asked a couple of friends um, for some advice around, you know, this is probably an example of what we talked about before. Had they walked a journey with a psychologist? Had they been through Zimbabwe and did they have a great outcome? I had a couple of suggestions and the one that I got was awesome, amazing. So I went and saw this guy for I think about two or three sessions and, you know, within the first 10 minutes, I did a little bit of prep. I was like, oh yeah, well, how do I describe myself and what might the shadow be? And I just shared this stuff, right? Um, and I think, you know, I could see his face. I could see that it was probably uncommon for someone to have it kind of as packaged up as I do and I got to thank my mum for that. But I did very quickly find myself with just a little bit of prodding and a couple of questions from him, just saying some things. I'm like, whoa, man, I, okay, these are things I maybe suspected were there, but I wasn't really aware of. Um, and so this, these kind of insights, the shadow, if you like, just kind of poured out of me. And I know you're like, do I ask the question of what was it or not? Is that appropriate? But I'll, I'll share it with you. Fundamentally, I was saying things like, I never felt like I belonged um, anywhere. I've never felt like I'm good enough. Um, I'm part Māori, part Pākehā. So as I shared, I think earlier, father Māori, um, both of his parents, Māori, Indigenous people of this country, of New Zealand. My mum, Pākehā, meaning Scottish, Irish, British, Norwegian. And so, you know, there was some stuff in there. Like, you know, I felt like I was never quite white enough never quite brown enough too brown so these are the types of things i found myself saying i'm like oh it's powerful and then you know it kind of clicked you know I've, I've kind of lived a life of you know feeling like um uh inferior having somewhat of an inferiority complex of of being an imposter and never really owned that and kind of in those moments everything made sense i'm like man i that's what's driven me is to be everything I could be, to be worthy. I think I even mentioned it in my definition of success, to feel worthy. I spent like 43 years not feeling worthy, even though I'd proven it to everyone else who was you know, looking or not. 
that I am, I still hadn't proven it to myself. And once those kind of pieces dropped, it, it just all clicked into place. And I was, I was able to kind of let go of that shadow. I understood the shadow really well. Um, I was told by the psychologist, he's like, look, you get it now. And I can see how much it's changed your kind of your view, but you will relapse because that's been your default behavior for such a long time. And he was right. And so, you know, I think we all relapse if we learn something new or we develop a new pattern, we relapse. We kind of go back to the old pattern. And a little bit like meditation, you know, all you really need to do is just just see it happening. You just kind of acknowledge that it's there. And that, for me, is all it's taken to kind of break the relapse cycle or the relapse pattern. Um, but, yeah, super powerful to have that insight about your shadow. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to use that in a very powerful way, in, in a kind of a powerful way that I never expected to be able to um, in a way that I live my life and in terms of the choices that I make with what I want to do with the rest of my life. So what, and, and thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, what, what comes up? I mean, what are the, what are the changes in the way that you live your life and changes in the decision as a result of finally, finally identifying that your sense of worth needs to come from within rather than from yeah. without? What, what yeah. changed, yeah, like, yeah, what's well changed in your actions? I'll tell you what changed in my sense of self, just a real lightness, a sense of liberation. Yeah, and a real sense of it's not about me. Once you kind of get yourself out of the way, what's possible? And I really, you know, that's one thing I'd love to spend so much of, well, the rest of my life doing is helping people get that, understand their shadow, um, give them some skills to be able to do that, but also then lean into, you know, the life outcome that they really deserve. So what's kind of come of that is a, is a desire. If I think about my situation, I'm on a spectrum. If you know, if you think about what I described in terms of this inferiority complex and like where that's come from, in this case, it's a sense of the labels attached to being, to being Maori, to being indigenous, that have formed in this country since since colonization. And rather than a big diatribe about colonization, this is that's the way that the labels were created for me in this environment in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Those labels exist for people everywhere. They can be ethnic, they can be gender-based, they can be just a consequence of the decisions we make. So, you know, those are these are people that are disenfranchised in some way. Um, and sometimes it can be really subtly, but it can be super powerfully. So I think my belief is that to some extent, most of us are on this kind of spectrum where, you know, we we kind of, it's this the shadow and the, the sense of self-worth and the sense of are we good enough and the reasons why those labels have come about, they they can be different, but they also shared with a lot of others. So the the penny that dropped for me almost immediately was what am I gonna do with that? Like how many others out there are like me? Knowing that it's gotta be super common. And when I think about, you know, what I've been blessed enough to be able to realize, you know, in my life up to that point, well, in my life, the kind of the, the thought that came to me was, what would it take for people to ditch their labels? So what would it take for them to kind of almost cast the shadow out if that shadow has come about as a consequence of, you know, falling on the spectrum like I have? And because wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be powerful if you could, you know, let's say, I guess, put words around it. I was both proud to be Māori, but also ashamed because of the labels that were attached to being Māori in this country. 
So what if we could ditch the labels? What would it take to ditch the labels? And you know, what I know, I've been in this space for a long time, is skills. That's the currency, right? The currency of this world. Like we talk about wealth, but to create wealth, most people, to create wealth, they need they need a specific set of skills that give them give them a level of fitness in the environment in which they're in. And that fitness should put them in the upper quartile or better. If they've got those, you know, they really can live a much more self-determined life. They've got choices. So, you know, the thought that came to me, I'm like, right, how do we take what I've learned over like a, a let's just call it an elongated period of time, those life lessons to figure out how to just call it mastering the system. I'm not saying I've mastered the system, but I've delivered it to a level of mastery, which I am keen to talk about, which is enough to be liberated from the machine where I don't have to work, where everything I can do can be based upon the choices of things that matter most to me. If we could like compact that down and if we could deliver it to people, give access to people who are experiencing this kind of state, these labels, might they be able to overcome those and realize the life outcomes that they really deserve as a consequence of this infusion of skills and from skills, we get great outcomes from outcomes. We get great choices. So, you know, that that was the kind of the genesis of the idea for, for the business, which you mentioned, REA, REA, that I've been at for, yeah, the last kind of seven or eight months in earnest. Okay. So you're, you're now helping people. I'm not sure if it's directly or indirectly. I'll get you to share about that. But you're helping people kind of identify the shadow within themselves, identify the labels that society has given them, and then to also identify how those labels are holding them back in ways that they're not yet conscious of. Yeah. Uh, or they're kind of conscious of, they're kind of aware of it, but they, they, they're they definitely not conscious enough yet to be able to identify that that's not the way they want to live. Yeah. So how are you doing that? Yeah, I mean, that that's a portion of our program. So I guess we have these programs, they're accelerated pathways. Um, the, the, the idea is never worry about a paycheck or a job again. For employers, so it's an employer ecosystem as well. Never worry about finding talent again. It's a space, you know, 17 years in that the tech kind of recruitment resourcing space, a space I get well. Tech industry is full of amazing opportunities. Probably 90 to 95% of the people that our uh, our business potential has met over the last 17 years have not been right for, for the these amazing jobs in tech. They've been missing something. One aspect of their skills, they're not just the hard skills, it could be the soft skills, it could be the way they, they relate, um, it could be their self-awareness. There's so many things that, you know, you kind of need to have in order to be, you know, hireable into the tech sector. So, and it's a beautiful industry that is growing exponentially with incredible opportunities and it pays way above you know, most other domains. Where, what I also know is you can get into that industry without having to, you know, do three plus years at university. So. Our promise to learners is um, get into the tech sector, you know, paying you 60K plus as your first role in that industry within six months. We effectively break those six months into two. We have an academy phase. We start to, you know, work on some of that stuff around identifying their shadow, identifying strengths. And then we kind of help infuse in them the core skills or the soft skills, the business skills, the stuff you need to know in the world today you know, to, to really figure things out. But also things like, um, you know, financial literacy, um, how to create wealth. Um, so there's a kind of a set of not just education or work skills, there's a set of life skills that we're infusing into our programs 
so that people are really set up to be productive, not just in work after six months, but also in life. That's amazing. Um, it's like university that people really, it's what universities are missing. Or schools yeah, look, are it, look, it really is. It really is. I mean, if you look at most traditional programs, who takes all the risk? It's not the university. They get paid very well. In this country, they get paid 20 grand per year between the subsidies from government and what it is that the student pays over the three-year period for an undergraduate degree, looking at kind of 60K. Uh, but then at the end of it, there's, there's no guaranteed job. I mean, we, we find, you know, people with degrees all the time who are like, oh, I'll do anything. I just need a job. That's crazy. I mean, what kind of a system is that there where this person takes all of this risk, invests all of this time, and then the actual value of that is, is relatively low in the market. They don't actually have any skills that you could put to work right away. What they've got is a proven ability that now teach me some skills. I mean, that's, that's nuts. So when you really kind of distill down the bits you need, and we talk about it kind of being productive from day one, it's not three years long. And we think, you know, it's, it's six months or less, depending on your starting point, kind of entering one of our programs. Yeah, that's that's amazing. There's something which I want to ask you about that as well, because you you mentioned earlier on that you doubt that you would have had the success or gotten to where you are had you not had the ego throughout the majority of your career. And here you're helping people just at the start of their career, just as they're doing university and getting all these skills to effectively uh, reduce a whole lot of that ego, for lack of a better word. And so... So do you feel like if you had this kind of experience 20 years ago that you would have been less successful and achieved less? It's a really good question. I've pondered this a lot over the last year. Um, I always talk about it in terms of kind of, I wouldn't do it any other way, but if we kind of, if we pick that apart, would I have been ready? Would I have preferred to do it? If somebody had kind of said, hey, Nate, you don't have to spend however many years just, you know, carving your own path reinventing the wheel here's like 30 40 50 percent of it compacted into this program here and you're going to be really set up i think the the questions i've got is how ready would i have been then um but mainly it would have just <laughs> me so much i didn't even know the things that i needed to learn let alone how to learn them i just had to figure it out like you know some of them i lucked into i saw other people succeed um yeah, but if you, if even if I knew, or let alone you know, had short pathways to to kind of get these skills, it would have made a massive difference. Massive. I think it would have it would have shortcut my pathway to kind of let's just call it success. I don't know that it would have shortcut my path to purpose. Yeah, that's the bit I'm I'm kind of pretty sure. It just needed to be the way that it's been. I don't think I was ready any sooner than I am now to be able to do what I'm doing. Mm. It kind of sounds like you're quite comfortable with that as well. Like quite comfortable knowing that your your journey's been not just as it's been, but it's been what it's meant to be. Yeah, and like I think, you know, it, uh, that is kind of what I said before, right? I, I've walked the kind of the painful path to get there. I wouldn't, you know, and I'm glad that I have and I feel like I deserve it. If I'd been able to shortcut it, I'm not sure that I would have. You know, I have said things in the last few months, like when I think about what it is we're trying to do, we're trying to positively impact as much of the world as possible who experience this and, and, and create intergenerational impact. Because when you have those skills, you know, it can just take one person. There's some really good data that shows 
one person is all it takes in someone's life to set them on a path of prosperity that if they don't have that person, the numbers show it isn't going to happen. Um, you know, some data that I heard for Māori in New Zealand are, you know, the key determinant of future success is that you have one person in your whānau, your family, who works every day. Now, I don't mean works like a particular paying job, just works every day. It actually does five days work a week, regular paying job, which sounds really obvious. It sounds like a really low bar. But as it turns out, 30% of families, Māori families in New Zealand, do not have that single person, which blows my mind. And it really, it motivates the hell out of me. Because, you know, another way to describe what we're doing is we're going to be that one person to as many people as possible at scale. And we know that it'll create a branch of prosperity for them, for their family, friends, their kids. That's that's what it takes. So we're kind of, we're sowing seeds for future generations. In Māori, we call it kaitiakitanga. It's a, it's the practice of stewardship, of thinking of the well-being of a community as a whole, but not just in this generation, but all successive generations. So I can't think of a more powerful thing to put my my modi, my my energy, um, my resources, my relationships, you know, everything I have into. And I feel super grateful that that that's happened. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know, if not for that kind of awakening moment, kind of learning about my shadow, I don't know if or when it would have happened. I don't believe I don't believe it would have, because I was never geared towards impact in the way that I am now. It was always a part of what I did, but it was that it was a part of what I did. It wasn't what I did. Mm. It was like a value add that you had for existing services you were selling, right? Hey, look, it was probably a value. It was one of my values, but where was it in the stack? Um, it was a little bit further down. And I don't mind saying that. I mean, I've got a good value system, but when I would hear people talking about equality and stuff, it, you know, two years ago, I was like, interested, but it, I didn't feel it. It wasn't something that I really felt that I needed to really get behind. Not to say that I don't love helping people, and that I haven't previously, you know, done my bit to try and help others, but not like this. Yeah, so I literally a switch, a switch was flicked. How's this changed your parenting style? Um, I'm a very, very conscious, intentional dad. Um, you know, but <laughs> partly because, and I've got a few friends who've kind of walked a similar journey to me. When you know what a great dad isn't because that's what you've experienced firsthand, you basically just take the opposite of that and you've got a pretty good list of the kind of dad you want to be. It's actually highly effective. Right. And then when you've got a great mum, it kind of, you know, there's someone who can fill in the gaps. But I've, you know, I've been very intentional about, you know, what is, how is it that people learn, adapt? You know, how do they experience fear? How do they use their fear? Do they run away from it? You know, I, I've, you know, I've walked that journey. I still do, like all of us. Um, but when I do, I really try and learn from it. And when I learn from it, I've, I really look at how can I teach others what it is that I've learned. So my kids have always had that from me. Really good example is, you know, public speaking, one of those horrible things that most people hate. Uh, I was, as kind of, you know, fate would have it, I was always pushed into doing that from a really young age. And I remember kind of hating it, but you just kind of got, got better at it. You got good at it. And um, consequently, it's part of my toolkit. And so whenever there's a moment where people gather and you, we need to mark time with some words, someone should do it. Why not me? And so I've brought them up that way. And recently they, 
both were freaked out about their speech competitions at school, like physical fear and sickness, you know? I think we've all experienced a bit of that at some point in our lives. And we went through a process of understanding the value of it, the power of speaking, and then the process of creating a speech and then being able to kind of learn how to perform it. And I was so proud of them. They, they both delivered it. They did an incredible job. And they both made their speech finals and my daughter went on to like into school finals and stuff. This is a kid that was too freaked out to do a speech at all, let alone be the person to differentiate themselves. And, you know, that's the kind of intent, I think, that if we can all, like if we can afford the time, and I think we should all try and afford that time, that's what shapes our kids. That's the formational, foundational stuff. And uh, I've always been like that. Um, what's changed? to kind of specifically answer your question. They've seen a bit of a shift in me. They've seen me share my story, a version of what we've been talking about many times with different people here at our house over the last year or so. And every time they'll be with their friends, they'll be doing something, there'll be a lot of noise around or what have you, and I'll catch them, they'll be stopped, just very quiet, very attentive very, very keyed into what it is that, that I'm talking about and they're thinking. And I can see, you know, they, they know what's most important to me and to this family. That stuff gets in, you know, that's, that's a value system that I think they already have. They're already talking about things like, you know, my son wants to be in the NBA. He's a great basketball player, but he wants to be in the NBA. We've talked about backup plans because, you know, not that many people are going to make it into the NBA, right? So, uh, you know, about six months ago, I was driving along in the car and, and you know, we were driving somewhere and yeah. he was looking kind of thoughtful and he, he looks at me in the rearview mirror and he's like, Dad, if I don't get in the NBA, can I come and work for the, and one day do you think I might be able to run that company? And I just, I was blown away because on the one hand, he's got this dream of being a professional basketball player. And on the other, he's really considering what might, his kind of contribution to the world be um, and how can he align it how can he hitch into our family wagon you know I, I was blown away and my sister said and my um, daughter has said similar things so um, I think what it means is we do have far more considered conversations quite specific conversations about other people and about um, the state they might be in and what it is that we've got in our power to be able to do to help them um, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, if you start hearing those things at the age of eight or nine or 10, um, where does that lead you over the next 30, 40 years? Um, when you realize that those are the things that your parents tell you are the, the most important things in life. I've got a pretty good, I've got a pretty good guess as to where it leads you, but time will tell. Yeah, I mean, even, even just at the beginning of what you were sharing there, there's there was someone else I had on the show uh, in an earlier episode who was, uh, he had a really insecure upbringing and he gave the, he gave the example of two brothers who wished to, like, who both had the same dad and the dad was an alcoholic. And then when they interviewed the one who's been, uh, who became an alcoholic himself and just he's an addict and he's got issues and he's never made anything of himself. So why are you like this way? Oh, because my dad was an alcoholic. Of course I'm like that. And now it's the other one who's been really successful 
and achieved a hell of a lot and has a loving family and beautiful connections in his life. And why are you like that? Like, well, because my dad was an alcoholic, obviously. <laughs> I'm not going to end up like that. And <laughs> it's it, amazing, isn't it? It is. And, and it's exactly what you're sharing, right? Mm. It's you, you shared about this earlier as well. You've got to align your perception with your reality, like this calibration that you're yeah. referring to. Yeah. And it sounds like you've aligned them in much more effective way, especially in the last, what do you say, the 15 to 18 months? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really fair. A lot of it has made sense. You know, I mean, yeah, there's a kind of a, I think even my definition of success, I think you've probably read and, you know, no doubt, no doubt people listening have, have read um, Yuval Noah, um, uh, Species. There's a really good book, part in that book where it really stood out for me. Of all the cool stuff I learned about humanity in that book, the part I, that stood out the most was this. We used to kind of wander the earth. I don't know what kind of existence it would have been, but there would have been a little bit of a sense of liberation. But then we would have spent most of our time just looking for food. What I wonder is, what do we do in the rest of our time? When it wasn't filled with stuff, what do we do? And then, you know, the part that really stood out was the agricultural revolution and all the revolutions since, which have fundamentally concentrated our proximity to towns, cities, and meant that we need to kind of play a part in a system. Um, and that, that system of success is, you know, what we have today. It's a version of it. We've got to kind of play our role in something inside that system. We get some shekels for it. Then we've kind of, we're stuck doing what it is we need to do to get those shekels. Um, surely that's not the life we're meant to be living. It certainly wasn't in a number of thousands of years or millions of years have gone by. But it seems pretty sad because I've, I've met a lot of people in the last 17 years in the recruitment space. And, you know, they're, they're enjoying varying degrees of fulfillment. Not that many people are truly passionate doing stuff they really, really want to be doing. We're all just kind of feeding the machine. And we kind of get shackled to it. And, you know, the, my definition of success was like, basically freeing myself from that machine. You know, like I want to get to a point where I don't have to feed it, where I can just kind of, you know, snip the shackles and do something else or do nothing. Um, and then, you know, there's that really interesting question, like what happens when, when you are free of it? Like when you don't have the same pressures, what happens? Um, do we find our purpose? Do we, do we do some stuff that we wouldn't have otherwise done? I mean, actually some of the people I respect most, uh, people who are doing that, but they haven't necessarily kind of create that liberation from the machine. Their purpose is both feeding the machine, being part of the system, but also realizing their purpose. I really respect that. Um, I feel like I've taken a longer path to get there, but it's meant that I now have choices. It's kind of my terms. Um, and I really like that. I just, I wonder did I need to do it this way or could I have, you know, what did I need the switch to be flicked in order to kind of go, I'm here to help. My purpose in life is to do this. Did I have to be freed from the machine? Is it that matrix moment, you know, where I realized it was a battery? Is that what happened? <laughs> I don't know the answer to it. I'm, I kind of like the fact that it's a question. I don't know what the answer is. It's, it's almost a little bit irrelevant, but well, it's a little bit irrelevant for me, but it's certainly relevant for my kids. And I think it's very, really relevant for the people who we're trying to, you know, help create the life outcomes and paths that they really deserve and that, that are possible. Because um, the question would be inside of that, 
what role does their purpose play in in the choices that they make? And is there a role that we play in our business, this education path to work business, where some of our pathways are, are just for purpose, whilst figuring out a way to have enough of the you know the financial resources that you need in order to you know achieve that sense of life choice. I don't know. I've, I haven't thought a huge amount about it. I like the idea of it, but you know, we're at the beginning of this of this journey in this in this business. It's a long way to go. Maybe it's possible. Well, I'm curious how you define purpose then, because that sounds like it has a distinct difference from success and from intention. Yeah, I think they get really blurred. You know, I think I think it's a little bit of choices. You know, when when you when you're in the frame of reference of I've got a family. Um, purpose looks like it's kind of really tied to financial success and being able to provide, you know, give them choices, provide them pretty much everything that you've ever wanted to be able to provide your family. And those measures are typically pretty financially centric. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously the values and stuff, I shared a lot about that, about, you know, my relationship with my kids and the, the style of parenting. Um, but yeah, I think my definition of purpose, what it was up until a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, was, you know, doing something that considered everybody and that that people can be passionate about, that allows us to align. So it's got a it's got a doing good factor in that values stack. There's one or more of those values that are really important to us that are also being realized through this definition of purpose and and our pursuit of trying to realize or fulfill it. So inside of our potential business, about five years ago, maybe four years ago, we really cottoned on to this idea of what is what does an amazing culture really look like? What are the components of that? What are people, what are the needs of people? And holistically, what are people's needs? It's, you know, they're not workers, they're not they're not just mums and dads or brothers and sisters or parents. They're like all of those things. So let's consider all of those needs. And let's kind of figure out a way to create that so that they get this really clear sense of, you know, this, the kind of the well of wisdom and power and inspiration that they should get from work, contribute to it and also draw from. And I think for, in a work context, in a business context, there's a way to align that so that people go, there's a higher, there's kind of a higher level of alignment and achievement there's a higher calling aside from just the work that I do day to day. I do believe we all need a bit of that. Or if we don't, maybe needing it, I, I think we need it. But I think for people that don't feel like they need it, there's value for them, even if they don't feel it, in practicing it. There's massive value in it. And once you practice it a little bit, you realize that it's, it's super powerful. And that it, um, it creates a lot of liberation even inside that same work context. Uh, and it really, it binds people together. You know, like you've you've got a reason for doing things and those measures are different. You aren't just kind of the measures expand. They're not just the single measure of money or wealth or whatever the the, the kind of the KPI might be. It's this other thing. Um, and it makes us feel good about it. And it makes us feel like we are doing more than just feeding the machine. Um, for me, and so that is alive and well and breathing. And I, I witness it inside of potential and I'm, proud that we have all played our role in contributing to that and that actually it's got nothing to do with me anymore i'm actually not even someone that fosters that now i can just see it you know thriving which is cool 
when you kind of when it's the when it's in the context of so change the parameters move the context away from say an existing business when it's like a, a you know a pursuit that you can start up from scratch there are no parameters you're not you're not trying to retrofit something uh, you can you can start again you can create whatever you like and doing it from the ground up is incredibly powerful what I've seen, you know, all of those amazing things that I learned from the calibration that I got from doing it in Potentia, we brought a lot of that with us into there. What we've added is this pure sense of purpose. Um, the actual work itself is measurable impact for others. It's not a byproduct of the work we're doing. It's an incredible magnet for people. You know, it's an amazing filter too, to be fair. But you know, it's a it's a it's a magnet and a filter at the same time. Not everyone's into that. But those that are, whoa. It is it's a it's a super powerful thing. I feel privileged to be part of that, to see the incredible people that have been drawn. It's kind of a movement that we're part of. We're we're one of the number of groups of people or businesses that are part of a movement around change. Um, and when they see how authentic and pure from top to bottom it is, they'll bring all of themselves to it. Um, not just the part that they think is right just for work and that regular kind of box that, that you kind of put parts of yourself into for work. Um, and it's it's incredible. It's so potent. Uh, and, you know, I'm only just learning about that because it's only been, you know, it's been it's a couple of co-founders and I. It was us and we were all aligned and that was powerful. And now we've got people who we didn't know at all um, who are also powerfully connected. And so it's it's kind of this experiment. Like I'm kind of seeing how amazing it is. They're contributing to it. It's actually more about the movement, more about the purpose, and less about me. And that's that's taken a bit of getting used to, because you know the construct that I was accustomed to, that pattern that worked, was the business needs a leader. That defines a lot of the stuff. And then you know, as people, we naturally do look to a single person. I've definitely witnessed that. That's that is a way that most people um, find comfort. This is a bit different, and um, you've kind of got more individuals who are who are leaders, if that makes sense. And uh, it's not really dependent upon anyone. It's really different. So I'm kind of learning as I go on that. Um, it's a cool journey. I love it, but it is funny being in a space that's kind of new. When you, you know, you've developed some patterns that work, and you think you've got it sussed, and you apply them, and you're like, they do work, but I don't know if they're the best ways for this to work now. I you know, I had this conversation with this this new team and I shared this with them prior to Christmas. I'm like, this is new to me. Like, you know, this mode of working, the why we're doing it and stuff. This is different. This is, you know, our whatever successes are the byproduct of us creating impact in other people's lives. Any financial success that any of us realize and enjoy is a byproduct of doing the main things right. It takes some getting used to. It just takes a bit of recalibrating. Um, not in a bad way, but it, it's still it's still it's still growth. It's still understanding how to utilize that and figure out what its properties are, if you like, that you can then collectively work with to achieve the best things that are possible. I'm I'm excited to ask you more questions about leadership, but slight, just quickly before we go there, yeah, uh, where you were talking about purpose and you were talking about how what it sounds like, just so I can get clear on it. It sounds like you started off with purpose being in this like really kind of narrow parameters of family. I've got to make sure there's enough wealth and that there's enough wealth that I can spend time with family, but also give them what they need. 
that's yeah. that's the most important thing that's that's my parameter of my purpose yeah. and then you've gradually started uh, widening those parameters mm. you started gradually just increasing the bubble of what falls within you actually being purposeful or what your yeah. purpose is yeah that's accurate i'd add to it though that was the primary purpose. Secondary purpose for me was um, helping people realize their potential. I've always been super excited about that. I love that. Um, yeah, I still do. It's the thing I'm most passionate about. Um, but yeah, it was family first. Um, but once you get there, what happens? Once you kind of go, well, we've kind of created that thing. So now what? It's funny because it's, you know, those, so and you've got a question around parameters and I'll get back to that, but I think the the kind of the I was describing this to to my team in this this conversation that I'm referring to. Um, I understand the currency of money, the currency of money and relationships. Those are the things that I understand. And so when I figure out how successful I am over time, I've gone. How much? What resources do we have? And what relationships have we built? Have I built? And what? How much? How much value do I feel is, has been stored up in that and, and given mutually? Um, I'm learning the currency of purpose. And it, it didn't land super well to start with because I don't have a feel for that currency. You get a whole pile of money in Thai baht. You get this pocket full of cash. Woohoo! You so much you can't stuff into your pocket. And then you go out and buy something and you're like, man, I need a lot of those bats. And the same in Bali, you're like, wow, this is crazy. Um, and so you start to develop a bit of a feeling for the currency. I've been doing the same thing with purpose. And and it's it's been a lesson I didn't expect to need to learn. Like, you know, my sense of success, because purpose, what is the relationship between purpose and success? And I thought I knew. I thought that once you did pursued purpose, success didn't matter. Well, it's still a business. Uh, we're still human. We still need feedback on, is what I'm doing right? Is it working right? So I kind of have had to redesign my my success metrics. And what I would say is that I'm just feeling the weight of the currency of purpose and impact and getting my head around it because we've been creating this vision and it's landed super well. And so the currency there was, it was the feedback of, that's an amazing vision and we believe that and believe you we believe in it and we're going to support it great affirmation feedback calibration at some point that's not the actual the vision is not to tell a story and have people buy into the story the the, the vision is to see people actually realizing the outcomes that the vision talks about right and because we've got our first cohort launching a week today we haven't yet done that we haven't actually yet had people come through the future currency is that it's the currency of life change where people can identify how they've grown and what it's meant in their lives. That's the currency that I look forward to being able to understand and appreciate. But I got stuck in limbo there for a couple of months where I'm like, it's all idea and vision and affirmation. And I, and it's not about money. And I'm accustomed to that. And the relationship's great. I get that bit. But what's in this other piece? And so, you know, my appreciation for the weight of, of impact is yet to come. But I've, I've definitely done a lot of thinking about it and I've experienced what it's like when you don't have the sense of the weight of it. Does that make sense? It kind of. I, I'm curious how you're going to measure it because this, this is something which is a challenge that we have at Pips Advisory as well. Yeah. It's, we, we're not focused on just whether or not clients are going to make more money. Sure, we provide financial advice. 
not mm. just focused on whether or not clients are going to achieve their goals or their objectives because sure yeah. that's, that's coaching it, it's all there yeah. but there's there's something deeper the closer we've gone to it so far is satisfaction but we yeah. we're still not 100 percent sure exactly how to measure i guess fulfillment yeah i think fulfillment's something different like i i I know what fulfillment has meant for me to date. I think the that kind of currency of impact will then have some kind of value with regard to fulfillment. I don't yet know. What I do know, the early signs I've had are when I, as I did on the weekend, I was at a wedding with an amazing um, to my EA and her someone fiance um, and I've spoken to a bunch of their friends who are many of them are exactly the kind of people that we're really wanting to really catalyze into the lives they deserve with with Rhea and when I hear them tell their stories about all the things that we've talked about but they then put themselves on the spectrum not in those words but I get that they've lived the same kind of experience that I have and how how needed it is that we're doing, what we're doing. Uh, and, you know, when they say things like, um, this is the first time that anyone's ever sat down and talked about my future or given me an opportunity like this. I never thought that that would happen for me. That is my sense. That's the first signs that I've had of the currency of it because we deliver on that. And the measurable to your question is, it's how many of those people got to the other side of it and found themselves with the skills and resources to choose a different life. We can measure that cohort by cohort. We can measure it longitudinally. Um, and that's without the you know five, five plus multiplier impact of them and uh, you know toward those people around them. So I think for us, we're probably lucky in that we'll be able to measure it quite easily. Median income is another. That's one kind of like a, a key driver for us is you know, median income for Māori and Pacifica communities in New Zealand is 20% below the national median. Every single person that emerges out of one of our programs who's from one of those communities is a 50% swing. They'll be 33% above the median income. You do that enough times, you see what I mean? You've got something very measurable. You do. Um, and that's, then there's the qualitative aspect. I mean, that's kind of quantitative. It's the qualitative aspect. Just how do they, how empowered are they? What sense of will they have on whether they are living a self-determined life now. Um, so, you know, we've got that stuff to look forward to. I think the, the bit I don't have an answer to is, but a, but a bit of a sense is, will the currency of impact, the currency of change and realizing that purpose, will it lead to greater fulfillment for me? I'm almost certain that it will. I've had a bit of a taste. Um, does it matter whether it does or not? Look, it kind of does. You know, I don't know that this is an ego thing, but I had a bit of a moment at the back end of last year where I just felt like I was doing tasks. I was, I was, you know, purpose, uh, impact startup, all of this stuff. But I still just felt like I was doing moments there where I was just cranking the handle with just another business. And I think that's just human, right? I mean, even though there's these ideas and this vision and this measurable purpose, work can still just feel like work. <laughs> and I think, you know, the... The part that makes it not feel like work so much is the fulfillment. And I think, you know, for the fulfillment, you need the currency of impact in order to for, to join all those dots up. So that's the kind of the way that I see that at the moment. But I'm also just kind of like, hey, it's cool being human. 
when you're kind of you're doing stuff and it's for all the right reasons and you know it's great but you just also feel weighed down by work you feel tired it's just human <laughs> i mean how do you how do you manage that right because you've you're on a lot of boards you've got a lot of roles you've even just as investor you you're engaged with a whole bunch of different businesses and through Humi group and then rio as well hmm. how do you manage that as well as everything else that's really important to you your wife and your kids and your friendships and your health and all of it so uh, so about a year so coming here it was about this time last year i had all of these options hmm. i knew what i wanted to do i didn't have a i didn't have a really super clear idea of what the commercial model for, for Rio was. Um, we hadn't quite modeled that out. We were in the process. We also needed to land on a product, something that could be productized. We knew what the pain points were. We knew why we were doing it, but then landing it in something scalable and productizable took another few months, took till about June. Um, and so I had these other things that in that, you know, the life, that kind of, that persona, if you like, that you described early on, doing things I like that help people and grow businesses and create wealth for multiple people. That's kind of what I was doing. I also love governance, not governance in itself, because I do find a lot of governance is dry. I love what it, what it, the possibility of what it can be when it's done super well, where you've got a measurable impact on the success of the business and it's in a really lean way. And we're doing stuff that really feels like it's moving the business forward. I love that stuff. I hate compliance activities though. They're essential. Um, they just don't get me fired up. So when we had all these opportunities last year, I didn't know how big a, how much effort uh, Rio was going to be. So I just signed up to lots of things. I said yes to everything. And they, even with the, the kind of the purpose filter or the purpose lens, I knew exactly why I was in each of the things I was in. And it was 100% purpose. And I guess I thought that um, there would be this kind of bottomless pit of energy when you're doing completely purposeful stuff, almost 100%. Uh, and at times it has been like that. And then at other times, it's not like that at all. <laughs> and it's just lots of stuff where you've got to fit it in. So it hasn't been the easiest to, to juggle those things. Um, you know, this is definitely a year where I need to focus. I mean, um, we talked a little bit about startup land earlier. You know, startup land is, is, is brutal, regardless of kind of, I think, what you're doing. Going from zero to one is not easy. Uh, it's normally the only thing that people do. So I definitely had too many things on last year, and I felt it, particularly towards the back end. So, you know, learned, calibrated, and um, just rationalizing a bit of what I'm spending my time on this year. But you know, it's not in me just to switch things off. Um, so there'll still be a juggling act. Um, but I think the framing, I've really learned a lot in the last few months, really since just before Christmas on, after some reflection, that conversation about the currency of impact, I'll put a lot of effort into that each day to, to figure that and be connected to it. Um, I, I actually tend not to refer to Leah as work now. This is a choice. I could have made any other choice around what we did with our time. I say us because you know, my wife and I have, have had this picture of traveling the world and, you know, when you're liberated, what do you do? You do lots of that stuff with our kids. Um, pretty hard to do that while you're doing a startup. Probably not smart. So, you know, we still want to do those things. But, um, 
yeah, this is a choice. And that I've found is it's a powerful motivator for me to put it in perspective. So I don't refer to there often as work because a lot of that kind of it's work, just all of those kind of patterns of familiarity of kind of, you know, slaving to the grind as we all have, they just kind of come up. So I don't say this to people because people look at you a bit funny when you say this, but what are you, what am I, what am I going upstairs to do? I'm going upstairs to create impact. I'm going upstairs into my office to generate momentum. I'm going up there to make a difference. That's kind of, that's how I've had to reframe things for myself. And it really works as opposed to I've got to work. Well, I can't do that. I've got to work. It's just, I don't think it's language that no one, you know, that should anyone should use, but it's become particularly important for me to reframe in that way. Mm. Yeah. So like that, that's awesome that you don't refer to it as work anymore because I mean, I guess, do you feel that it's the change of language that's helped you not feel like it's work or do you think that's the perspective of not viewing it like work that's just made the language shift so easy? It's more that. And then the words are the other kind of the, the other cues, aren't they? That's, that's where we kind of get our behavioral cues is from words. So it really is the intent. Connecting it with the intent is the major bit. Okay. So then it's no longer kind of balancing work with family life and all that kind of stuff. It's, I'll rephrase the, or the initial question, is how do you balance all these choices? Choices to spend time with your wife, choice to spend time with your kids, choice to, uh, to uh, put your energy into RIA and all these other areas and all these other investments and everything. Um, I, my wife has cracked her up, so in true kind of Nate style. I kind of put together a schedule um, and she <laughs> she saw me looking at it one day and she saw herself in there for like this percentage of my time and like the activities that we're doing and my kids and like all of these other things. But you've got to have a plan, right? You can't just sign up to stuff and not have a plan. So you've, you've got to know, is this even feasible? And so by developing this plan and estimating the activity and across a year and then breaking it up into percentages like a pie graph, I was like, okay, this is feasible. I'm going to have to be very disciplined, but it's feasible. So that's what I needed to do. Um, and then over time, living into that kind of split has allowed me to calibrate as to how realistic it actually is. Fine on paper. Do you have the mental energy, the capacity? How much How much time do you need to... Is that enough time to read? I love reading. I find reading such a inspiring activity, but also a great recovery activity. Have I got enough time to read? Um have I actually been able to spend that much time with the kids? Do I have to blob in front of the TV and watch Netflix? You know, all of those types of things, right? I've got a year's worth of data, so it's, it's been very helpful. That's kind of a long answer to your question, but you've got to plan. You've got to make sure it's feasible. And then you live into it, and then you calibrate. Like, did it work? If not, change something. So we're just in a changing something mode at the moment. See, the, it's interesting because about, I guess, I don't know, half the, the people that I've that I've interviewed so far have said something along those lines like you've got to have a plan you've got to make it work and and then just kind of stick to this plan and otherwise nothing's going to work and kind of keep making it work somehow and change what you need to and others who go and anytime I've ever made a plan it's just failed so I'm just going to set my intentions and just make it happen and who, who cares about planning if it's not working then I'll see it's not working I just got to keep uh, reflecting on it and then making sure that it eventually works whatever it is yeah. but what what they what both you share and what they share have in common is the sense of agency mm. like ultimately what you're saying is that 
the way for you to balance everything is not based on what other people do or how you or how other people can help you do it. It's up to you as to what action you're going to take. Yeah. Yeah. That- it's so true. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it, you know, iterating and just signing up for things and figuring it out. It makes sense. Um, you know, I do believe it has to be feasible. If it's not feasible, if you don't actually have enough time in the day, then that's just crazy. But I know some people who live like that. And this one woman in particular, I won't name her, an incredible capacity for work. She told me the other day that she she said no once in four years to something where someone said, will you mentor me? Will you invest in this? Why not invest in this business? She does that for a living. Um, will you provide this kind of support? Will you do this due diligence on this deal? Once in like four years. And she knew what time it was. I'm like, whoa. Wow. But then I, I kind of just look at incredible, incredible capacity, but also just massive hours. Like just, it's just wild. You know, I'm not someone who believes in burning the candle. Not anymore. It's got to, it's got to fit that definition before around, you know, balancing all of that stuff, that balance point, because it's no longer the balance point of living in the zone of creating sufficient resources. I've done that, but now it's about the balance point between what it takes to generate impact with happiness, health, and purpose. <laughs> okay, so you're, I'm going to so swap no, those two things out. You're no, you're no longer balancing uh, the hours that you're spending towards things. You're not, you're not kind of balancing the tangible outcomes. You're you're balancing these kind of intangibles, right? These impact and mm. happiness and sense of contribution and purpose. I think. I think the difference is it's still the same actually. I think the difference is is that instead of it being a focus on, you know, feeding the machine and developing resources, money, wealth, I've swapped that out now for purpose because the that other piece isn't such a big deal now. But it still requires it's still got measures and it's still got inputs and outputs. And it still needs to be balanced with, you know, well being, happiness. The thing is, is you can strike, I think I said you know, it included purpose. It's almost like purpose is crossed into the main thing and I've dropped it off the thing that the two the two entities of kind of, I think I said happiness, health and purpose worth like pursuing success in life. Drop the purpose, happiness and health still super important. It's just that purpose is kind of like fulfilled the whole, that's the measurable thing. And I don't think I, I'm not the kind of person that would pursue purpose if it wasn't measurable. I am too wired for a particular way, measures and outcomes. It's served me super well. At this point in my life, you know, purpose does need to be measurable. Impact needs to be measurable. Um, will that change over time? Maybe. I'm certainly open-minded to it. I mean, it would be nice to just, you know, just invest some time and some energy, some intent um, without having to have hard measures. But... Um, yeah, maybe that'll come. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if if you're now just primarily focused on impact, how are you defining your purpose? We're coming back to questions from, from 30 minutes ago now. Uh, well, it's a kind of a single, single statement. Um, 
my purpose is to um actually you know what's you know it's funny about single statements i i'm decreasingly over time i used to be really into like most of the world is you know doing a lot of work defining something and then getting it down to as few words as possible mm. i've found over time you lose so much meaning when you do that yes why does it have to be short and pithy sounds good sounds great in a conversation might look good on your wall i don't know if people even do that anymore but if you lose meaning you have to be you have to remind yourself of 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 that meaning so i, I tend to keep the words in there um and so you know for me my purpose um is to enable as many people as possible um to realize the life outcome that they truly deserve um yeah and do it in a self-determined way that's it but as you say that's that's losing so much meaning in it because with almost every word there i'd want to dig in another yeah more. yeah that's it there's there there are there's i've got like a, a handful of statements around you know what kind of it's like a ball with layers like this it's just this kind of mashup of ideas that if i can do that i think i'm i'm fulfilling my purpose um and i think look the relationship between purpose and impact is funny eh? and i don't know that i have a lot of wisdom yet on that um you know you be doing what you do maybe you've got some deeper insight but i mean i think you know impact is measurable should be ideally um purpose i do feel like is a pursuit um it's an orientation and an intent um yeah so that's as much as i know about the two of those things and i, I don't personally feel like i need to split hairs around the two and it'll probably change over time it, it kind of almost sounds like the the impact is the destination you're trying to get to right you can find it yeah. on the map you know what it looks like. You know where it mm. is. You can check your GPS. You know that you've mm. gotten there. You know you've yeah. arrived. While mm. it's almost as if in your mind, the pursuit is like the vehicle which you're choosing. Yeah. The fancy car you're driving. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Okay. Mm. So, so I've still got some questions on leadership. Yeah, <laughs> please. To, to circle back. Yeah. So you're saying that your style of leadership has changed now. It's no longer just the one person who's making the key decisions. It's yeah. a team of people making decisions together. Everyone's kind of a leader in their own right. So I don't want to. I don't want to um, oversimplify my kind of previous definition of leadership. Um, but I think what I've seen work well is, you know, having um, having a a person, a single person accountable for, you know, things that really that only they can be accountable for is good. I still, that's still accurate. That still works. Um, that's just a way to manage risk in a business. Also, it enables people to lean into their superpowers, which I think is fundamentally what we all need to do. We need to understand what they are. We need to develop those and we need to embrace them, unleash them on the world. Um, and that's certainly something we want to be doing at scale inside of the year as well. Um, I think how it's changed, I think what we don't have much of is this, it's the sense of, what's the best way to describe it?
there's just a deeper level of the nature of the people, the nature, my, my kind of major um, co-founder, the two people who work in the business every day, it's, it's Tim Hathurley Green and I. And it's partly the way he is. He's a, a fantastic, he's an incredible, incredible guy with a lot of different skills, a lot of superpowers. And he's a fantastic coach. So it's partly the construct and how, the type of people we're assembling, also the kind of work we're doing. But this sense of providing a, uh, a point of stability, um, that being me, I've always been the stable person, regardless of no matter what's going right or wrong. I'm the, I'm the rock. I've become accustomed to that for a long time inside my immediate family, inside my, my siblings, my mom, um, and my friend group, and then my businesses, I'm the rock. And yeah, I say that with no ego, by the way, this sounds like I'm the rock, but it's just a, <laughs> I'm that person, I'm that person who's prepared to shoulder stuff. And especially if you've got a plan and you're, you're the type of person that says, I'm going to stick to that plan. Yeah. And who can also not, even when there's a lot of difficult stuff going on, a lot of emotional content, who can be very consistent and stable throughout. So that's the role that I've played. Um, and so what that can mean is that I'm always honest, transparent. It just doesn't need to be everything. And so perhaps in other businesses, I've filtered some stuff so that I can continue to provide that point of consistency and stability for others. Because as a leader, people take their cues from you. You know, I had to really get used to that about six years ago, over six years ago. Like they really do, whether you want them to or not, they just do. Whether those are good behaviors or whether those are behaviors you don't really want them to exhibit, but you know, they, they just do. And so being consistent and showing up in a certain way is a one way for people to adopt the, what does it mean to be inside this business? And it gives them the stability so that they don't have to worry about me or anything else going on in here. You just worry about you. You know, you just, you look after you. In there, my, this team would not let that happen. There's a level of transparency that is expected that is really empowering, but it really, it's not what I'm accustomed to. I'm, I've told you what I'm accustomed to. At least it's, it's quite different to that. Um, and so it's kind of a, you know, I had to really check myself as to whether am I trying to apply some of that, is that like corporate speak? Is it like corporate culture stuff? And I wouldn't call potential corporate culture, but no doubt it's borrowed from aspects of corporate cultures. Is that some kind of capitalist kind of behavior, capitalist leadership style? So I've asked all of these types of questions. Um, and then with what we're looking at, the way we're looking at doing things in there, is this that, do I agree with that? Does it, or does it just, because it was really, it was kind of, the alarm bells were going off for me. I'm like, this is not how you run a company. This is not, this is not how we do it. Because my formula, those heuristics, those patterns have worked super well in the past. And so I really had to check myself. Is there a better way by being open-minded to being a different kind of leader? And after a bunch of discussion with people, I decided there was. Um, and so the test for me was, there was a call that we were that we were all on and I just 
I just shared with everyone where I was at, um, what was going on for me and what was going on in my head and what that had manifested to in terms of behaviours or the way I was engaging or not engaging as the case was at that time. And the uplift of energy and the outpouring of connection, if you like, that I witnessed as a consequence of choosing that style of leadership um, was the evidence, was the calibration I needed to go, this is the right way, this is a new way, and it's quite, it's a very vulnerable style of leadership. Um, but this is the right way for this group. This is who we are. Um, so, but all of, all of those kind of, those old patterns that have served me, were like, nope, this is the wrong way, don't do it, this is not right. You've got to be the person that is the rock, you can't, you've got to be bulletproof, all of this, all of this crap. <laughs> so I'm, I'm open-minded, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I think it's, I still know the things that have worked really well and I want to continue to see those practiced well, but there, there can be other ways to do things. And I think fundamentally it means that the, the level of transparency and the style of communication and almost the benchmarks of how we show up uh, are different in, in the via to anything I've seen before. Do you say that calibration came from one session where you decided to show up in a different way? Yeah, one session as a group um, and then... A couple of conversations with some people. Tim, my my dude, my co-founder. Um, was it just him? And actually, I, this is the other thing. Like, and a couple of other conversations with some of the other people. And I just wouldn't normally share that stuff with people to get their opinion on how they think I should lead. Uh, but I did, and they gave me their feedback, and then Tim gave me his, and. So that one session, that's what I practiced. And I got the, I got a very clear message. That's, so, yeah. That's incredible. Because, I mean, there, there'd be people who are listening to this uh, who are thinking, oh, I know that how I'm leading is not right at this moment. Or I'm trying to get ready for leadership. And the way that I'm doing it or the way that I've been practicing it or the way I've been trying to implement it just isn't, isn't or hasn't been working just right yet. Uh, but I'm, I know this is something which I've got to work on, but uh, I'm, I'm in corporate world and I don't know if I should be vulnerable and I don't know if I can be vulnerable because all these other people are incredible and everyone's comparing me to other people and they're going to have all of these limiting beliefs which are coming up, all of these thoughts at least, whether limiting or not, something else. What would you, what would you want to share with those people? I'd ask them to think about who they're talking to. Who might they be managing, working with, supporting, talking to, speaking to? Because my bet is that those people are really no different in their own insecurities, their own, um, you know, fear of being vulnerable, and also their own patterns of self-doubt and all that stuff, right? Um, we're all actually pretty similar. So what? when I, when I led in that way, it enabled everyone to connect with me as an equal and someone who's just as human as everybody else. So it made it okay for, for others to show up that way. And so they all, you know, what happened was a string of each of them sharing their own version of what I just shared, which blew me away. They all shared, they all experienced a similar thing in the, in the previous couple of weeks. So we set a new standard. We set a, we collectively set a new benchmark 
of what it is we share with one another and what we created was a, a truly safe safe place it doesn't get much safer than i can show up and be vulnerable and feel safe surely that means that everyone can too and not only that but maybe that's the expectation i think maybe there was enough it was pivotal enough that people thought that that's that's how that's the their way that's how we that's how we work together yeah amazing so you started it was a cool moment it was a cool moment i gotta say i was pretty freaked out because i was like man this is not something i would ordinarily do this could blow up and I, i may not look like a great leader and um it's pretty early for people to believe that and i don't believe that because i'm pretty sure i'm a good leader and so it was a gamble and i was freaked out and i was you know i wasn't the most eloquent i've ever been but that's all part of it they i think they loved the fact that i was just being me um i do trust them all and so i guess the question would be god human nature right would those possible leaders that are out there listening to this that you've you've kind of like you know alluded to mentioned do they trust the people that they'll be sharing with because i think that's a big part of it because i think you, you did you do need to create a safe environment what what does a safe requirement um require it really does involve a lot of trust and a genuine belief that all of the people have got the best intent for everyone there um you know in maori we call it um there's this everything is a life force i have a life force i referred to it before it's called my modi and as a team as a group as a company we have an energy which is the modi of so let's say the modi of there all of us have a role to play this is tikanga maori so these are the practices of the, the ancient ways all of us have a responsibility to ensure modi order the well-being of one another and of the collective I know for a fact that everybody in there is there to to ensure the well-being of the life force of our group. And I guess I would probably not have shared what I did if I didn't have that certainty. So I didn't I didn't really clock that or think about that at the time, but on reflection that was true and we that's the kind of language we've used and I know that's not a particularly common way to talk about workplaces, but why would we talk about a workplace any differently to the way we would talk about you know any other kind of group of people who are sharing your energy and uh ideally you know supporting one another and ensuring your well-being because it's it's really the same i think some of the labels and some of the preconceptions and stuff you know i shared some of mine inside of like business context i still know how much they serve us but rather than just toss them away you do need something better um and i think the you know i'm blessed and everyone in this country is blessed because we can access this incredible like life and organizational development toolkit called tikanga maori which has been there for over a thousand years um it was equally relevant a thousand years ago to what it is today and will be in a thousand years time that's amazing you know we've it's part of our program we've we've built uh we've just just kind of hitched our framework on top of that because it's so fit for purpose uh and it's also it's funny enough you know whilst it's ancient it's a lot of the, a lot of the uh, often the case with the indigenous ways it's ancient but it's just as relevant why because fundamentally we're still people so you know if it worked then why should it not work now because we're still people we're still people with feelings and emotions and 
life force and all of those things, right? Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't have taken that gamble if I didn't have a sense that everybody had already bought into that framework. I guess what I was doing was adopting that framework wholeheartedly rather than the one that you know I was most accustomed to and where I'd come from. Yeah. Wow. Because I mean, I there are a lot of people where I'm thinking of a few examples where of clients, but also friends and peers where they got to a stage where they just figured I, I cannot continue in this current place the way that things are. Mm. So I, therefore I've just got to leave. Mm. And a lot of them decided that instead of just leaving, just give it as a, a last ditch effort to just try and act the way they wanted the team to act, just try and mm. act the way they wanted it to be. And worst case, is they end up finding a new job, which is what they were going to do either way. So sure. worst case, it would it would get a little bit awkward. Mm. So is it worthwhile learning a whole lot be, uh, as a result of that pain of awkwardness? Mm. Or would it be better to just kind of avoid the awkwardness and just hope that you're going to find somewhere else where everything's going to work out? Well, you kind of know, I'm pretty sure you know what my answer would be to that. Like, just experiment. Um, do it in a considered way. But put it out there you'll get some information back you can you can learn from that you can calibrate from that it'll be super powerful and even if it doesn't land with everybody it'll land with some people because if you are empathizing with others and that's where your leadership is coming from it means a lot to most people that value those things and so those people will give you insight on what it was that worked and they may give you some insight on some of the aspects either of the delivery or the actual narrative itself, or the decision, or whatever the situation it is, that could be tuned better. So, you know, here we are as leaders. Who are we leading? We don't lead a, we don't just lead ourselves. Leading self is the thing. But leading yourself, you've got you've got a feed loop, feedback loop on that. It's a pretty it's a pretty small circle. You can you can feel um, pretty good. You can feel pretty good about yourself that <laughs> you way. Can. But leading others, they need to tell you. You know, like that's the point. Like just getting something out of a toolkit that someone else has given you, like that's useful if it's been calibrated off their experience, but, but it's the group that you're leading. It's the group you're managing. Those are the people that matter most in that, in that scenario. Um, I mean, the way I've done it in the past, rather than, so when I've tried things in the past, I've tried things and then I've had certain people who have been kind of given me that, that feedback and that calibration, not necessarily everybody. So that's probably something I wouldn't do. I wouldn't have experimented with that, with the example I gave, and then then immediately gone afterwards, did that work for everybody? Unless I knew that it did. <laughs> if everyone's in like emotional and sharing and I can get their sense of energy and I'm like, this is awesome. It's quite nice to say. This is a way you know, to, to make it a public kind of a, almost a, a public um, debrief. Otherwise, I would just kind of read the room and then go to some of the key people and say, what did, what did you think? What landed? What didn't land? And I'd do it across a few people, not just one. Um, and then, then I've, got, I've got a few points of reference and I would definitely tune how I delivered it or planned it or whatever it was or made the decision or how inclusive I was or whatever the, the bit of feedback might be around in the future. Um, and I think that's a really powerful way. It's a, 
it's a experimental but a lower risk way to do it but it also means you're just not doing it in a vacuum because you know like we said there's no leadership in a vacuum mm. it requires others see this is this is awesome because a lot of people who are more risk adverse like yourself will tend to want to avoid everything which is uncertain and avoid mm. all the unknowns all the uncertainties i've often found myself to be like that as well and it, it can be limiting right it's like ah uh, but what it sounds like for you is that you've really embraced this this notion of a growth mindset is that yeah. everything everything which happens good or bad is an opportunity to learn massively massively i still have to remind myself of that sometimes i still seek the comfort zone hmm. um but i feel like i'm dying if i do that comfort equals dying sounds terrible it's not that catchy a phrase but it's true i mean you look at the scenarios in which you kind of apply that statement physically yeah comfort your body's going to die your cells are going to die your brain will die if you don't challenge it. You slide into the comfort zone. Um, same with relationships. So it's, uh, it's super important. And look, sometimes I have to give myself a stiff uppercut. Um, you know, it's that a cold shower works. It's, I'm always a cold shower everyday person. That's a fantastic way to remind yourself that life isn't just about comfort. And, uh, you know, that I'm, if you can do that in the morning and you can be prepared for those other uncomfortable moments throughout the day, which selected well probably mean you're growing. You're becoming a better practitioner, a better leader, whatever it is that you do, you know. Do you seek people, no, do, do you seek out people and relationships that are going to test you out of your comfort zone? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I do. And it's funny, in some phases more than others. And if I find myself, I wouldn't say, so I, I know some people that are very formulaic and how they construct that kind of just call it that um that position of comfort in other words they don't allow themselves to be comfortable very often and they will you know add a certain number of new people to their lives like they're quite formulaic it's one in particular who does that and he does it very effectively i tend to find myself in phases i tend to read it and when i found myself in a phase where i'm seeking comfort more often than not that's when i give myself a stiff uppercut i'm like right this isn't where you want to be. Where, and I'll do a, I'll do a, just a, you know, a mess of meditation. I'll reflect. I tend to capture and write down what I've reflected on. It's always got some structure. Sounds really dry, but I, um, I tend to capture stuff. I'm not a much of a writer. I've got heaps of beautiful diaries, but my writing doesn't look the best. I don't, can't always read my own writing. So I'm very digital. <laughs> and so I've got, I've got like, you know, I've got, Asana projects um, that are just like my life, just like, but like a Trello board, just these things, these reflections, and um, and they, I kind of test how much I need to stretch myself in each of those areas that matter, um, and how comfortable I am in others. It works really well. Probably been doing that for about quite a long time, maybe I'd say about fifteen years. What What's the trigger for you that says? Nathan, you're getting too comfortable. Snap out of it. Um, when I haven't felt, this is sound funny, when I haven't felt that proud of myself that often. Okay. So my sense of achievement isn't maybe where it was meant to be. And, you know, what I'm sharing here is a crossover between the kind of the way I assess the world, as we've talked about, and the way I do now, that a lot of those patterns still 
persist, right? Because that's what you've known. Um, uh, so I see warning signs um, where I'm like, right, I'm just not at my best or um, it's a bit easy. Uh, I, I guess I do look for it. My meditation every morning, 20 to 30 minutes every day, that certainly helps to identify those things. Not specifically, but afterwards it does. Um, the other is I do time-based ones. Um, there's certain moments in the year where I get super reflective. So one of those moments for me was back in the last year. From about mid-November up till Christmas, I tend to get really reflective. I have some structure in how I reflect. And then I have a picture of where I'm at, how I'm showing up at that point in time, and what kind of future I want to create over about a five-year time frame. And I pick, pick those files up, or those boards back up, and I edit them, and I, I gain that. I find it a very energy-giving exercise. Uh, and I just get really great clarity. And then I've kind of got myself sorted so I can relax over my break. And I've had enough time to plan for change. What I found in the past, so I didn't really have that time to do that last year. So I had to squeeze it in. I was desperate for it. I just wasn't myself. I was really desperate for it. I could just tell I hadn't had enough time to reflect and it was kind of taking its toll. So I made some time. I put half a day aside. I went over to Waiheke. It's a nice kind of island here the, where it's got good energy and it's a beautiful spot. Uh, did some reflection, uh, captured the stuff, and I just had all these answers about things and some insights, and I was able to plan off those and kind of walk into it was a little late just prior to christmas not enough time it's a busy time but it did leave me just enough time to hit the new year with that clarity i've always thought in calendar years i just like that i like the i like the cycles i don't like to think of it as one big continuous thing um and then the other time is the middle of the year and that's it's the opposite it's because the middle of winter right you you know having some real clarity um, and a strong orientation towards what the rest of the year looks like can be something that I think we all need when it's that kind of shortest day, coldest, darkest, you know, <laughs> you, want, you want to feel fired up about what you're doing with your life. So middle of the year is often when I'll do that too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that, that's cool. You've, you've got all of these, uh, you've got this kind of sense of awareness, which is kind of how, how much how much achievement am i experiencing like what how how high or low is my sense of achievement and yeah. then somehow you've got a gauge of that i'm guessing it's very intuitive and then you feel oh, i'm not i'm not achieving as much as i should i've got to snap out of it i've got to do something i've got to yeah. change you yeah, or i'm not growing that's the other one so the sense of the mm -hmm. achievement of growth um doing a new activity um uh, having a new capability, a new skill. Um, yeah, those are, uh, it can even be things like, you know, how many books have I read? Because I do find I just get less hungry for life when I'm in my comfort zone. When I'm really hungry for life, my capacity to do stuff and get through stuff is immense. When I'm in that kind of comfort zone, it's like a quarter as much. So that's the other thing. If my productivity drops, it's time. <laughs> yeah productivity yeah. drops means yeah. yeah it doesn't mean you got to work harder it means you got to change something right yeah yeah get inspired because the reason i'm yeah the, the reason that i might be less productive is because i'm just not inspired i'm not driven motivated fired up about something and sometimes it's just framing 
sometimes it's not the actual stuff it's just the perspective and the framing that needs a bit of an adjustment um yes yeah, so i'm open-minded to what the fix might be but if you look into those areas then you know you can start to find the answers yeah cool all right. Well, let me uh, as we as we begin to draw towards towards the end of this chat. Uh, you definitely are a a big player in the tech space in New Zealand. Uh, you've got uh, you've been involved in a whole bunch of tech startups, and pretty much everything that you do focuses on efficiencies and helping others through tech. Uh, what are your thoughts about tech in general in the world, as where we stand and where the future lies and where we're headed? I think. Not enough of us have have got a sense of how powerful the exponential movement, largely through technology, that has been underway for a long time. And then what that, because we don't think exponentially, we think linearly. And if you don't think exponentially, and if you don't kind of, if you don't plan exponentially, then stuff happens that can really surprise you. So I think, you know, we all need to understand the divide that is that is growing exponentially between those that have and those that don't and i would say that if you wanted to pick one domain to ensure you fall on the right side of that domain it's develop a deeper understanding of tech um, there's different types of tech there's there's straight up technology there's deep tech which is applied sciences but fundamentally the greatest you know competitive advantage in this world now and for the foreseeable future is your ability to harness tech it's the game that's being played out at scale. Um, what is our role in that? What does each of us, you know, need to do to ensure that we can, you know, jump on that wagon or make the most of it? Well, you kind of, you want the cards, you want the chips in your stack that have got the highest value. The chips in the stack with the highest value are the ones that come out of tech. You know, those are like 10 to 100 times worth more than any other chip. So, yeah, that's, that's where I think it's going. There's a couple of amazing podcasts. I really like Tim Urban, Wait But Why, just to give people a sense of like, what, where is this tech thing going? What is this AI? Like, what's possible? What is the singularity? Um, and the other is uh, Singularity University and a lot of their very forward-gazing views on, on tech and what's possible. Um, well, not just tech, but specifically around exponential patterns and exponential technologies. Um, that'd be my advice. Where is it going? I'm preparing myself for, you know, serious adaptation. Yeah, serious adaptation is a consequence of what tech does to me or I can do with tech. I, yeah, I, whether that's, I'm not sure you know, what you mean possible, by that. I've got a business or more that just completely disappear. It's possible that some of the stuff that I'm involved in as a result of some kind of technology or innovation could be gone could be decimated the recruitment industry the resourcing industry could be gone we've been expecting something like that for about 10 years it hasn't happened might it happen that's the nature of exponential technology there's this hockey stick moment when it goes really steep it still looks flat and then it goes like that when it goes like that you're dead <laughs> you're over so like you know i'm always prepared for complete completely losing everything as a result of you know the most extreme situations happening there's a good chance it'll happen with different types of tech. So that's one of the things that makes sure I go fairly diverse in terms of the things I'm involved with. Um, but yeah, I just expect the unexpected and it'll happen. Okay. So you're expecting the unexpected. I mean, help, help me, help me with understanding that mindset or at least understanding some of that perspective. 
how are you preparing for things which are completely yeah. unexpected? One word. Yeah, one word, adaptation. If there was a quality or an attribute, apart from the kind of the, you know, love, aroha, all of those things, respect. But in terms of the very, very functional attribute that I think I'm trying to instill in my kids and we're trying to instill in all of our learners that come through there, adaptation. I've said, I've probably used that word a lot in this in this podcast. Adaptation, being able to adapt. That is the greatest determinant of your future success. So, you know, as long as I'm pretty good in getting better or staying current with my ability to adapt, I think I'll be fine. I think we'll be fine. If I ever fall into my comfort zone and I stop adapting, I don't I don't have that confidence. We fall into the risk category. So I guess that would be the that would be my message. I think it you know, I kind of realized that maybe yeah, twelve, fifteen years ago. It's stood the test of that much time. When I look at different things that have happened uh, in the world over the last 500 years, that's the one that that's the kind of the quality or the attribute that stands out most to me. So, um, yeah, I guess that's a kind of a way that I would encourage or advocate that people think about life and um, what they're doing with their time. So, is an example of that. Uh, I know when a when a new piece of tech comes out, or a new platform, or a new engagement tool, or something new comes out that you got to jump in, mm. check it out, have a play, get involved with it? Is that is that what you're constantly doing? Don't get left behind. Just don't don't get left behind. I think I see I see people very close to me, some people that live in this house, uh, others really close to me, see tech stuff come up and they just put the blinkers on. And I'm like, no. That's the moment to step into, adapt, figure it out. You've got the capacity. You've got the time. You've got the faculties. Just figure it out because it's going to be very similar to something else you know with just a different interface with a slightly different tilt. And once you can put something in a box and you can figure out how to kind of use it or understand it, you've adapted. So I think that's, you know, it's a great example that you've kind of brought up. That's that's what it looks like day to day. It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be going, always be learning, you know, Udemy or Coursera courses or Rio courses, not necessarily. It could be see something that scares you when it comes to tech and figure it out. Spend five minutes, 10 minutes, ask someone about it, borrow from the experience of others, done, move on, next. Right. So you don't have to keep jumping on to the next you know, social media craze. And oh, TikTok's come out, but I'm only used to Facebook and LinkedIn. You, you know? see that? Yeah. Because that, that's where it could lead people, right? They're like, okay, new piece of tech, yeah. I better no. follow it. Or there's this new cryptocurrency that's come out yeah. for this or this. And so, okay, I better jump into that. I can't be left behind. Yeah. Look, I think social media. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, social media, that's different understanding it and the dynamics of the community socially and from a tech perspective useful do we need to completely participate it depends for me it's what is the risk what is the reward i haven't seen enough of the reward for the risk with with the such attention grabbing always on platforms like social i just i don't subscribe that's not that's not it's got its place yes do you need to be across all of them do you need to be consuming your time because fundamentally, they are, you know, they're the opposite of mindful experience. They're looking at the past or the future in a critical way. 
I just don't believe that that's how we should be spending our time. I just don't think that's healthy. Um, but understanding how they work, what communities are they big in, what are the drivers of the commercial model, sure. That's worthwhile. Yeah, okay. Cool. So what what do you then think is like the like the next two or three themes of tech that are coming up? That if someone's listening to this and they're saying and, and they're hearing you say, Oh man, Nathan's here telling me that I gotta be adaptable, I gotta be across new things, and I gotta find technology that's gonna scare me. But what's what's the technology that they should really be looking at? Look, I reckon I'll just say one. I mean, there's two, but the second one, let's start with the first. Um, automation. I think understanding, you know, fundamentally understanding the role that, of productivity in the world, what that means for the individual, what it means for teams, what it means for businesses, what it means for countries. Um, productivity is super important. You need to understand productivity before you think about automation. So I would say that, you know, automation is a way to drive exponentially greater productivity. And when you can shift a, such a powerful dynamic like that so profoundly, things change, the game changes. There's so many, there's been a promise of so many different types of automation, which are typically, you know, that's, they're based in the tech industry for quite some time. We're definitely in this hockey stick moment where we're seeing aspects of automation hit their vertical, vertical kind of, you know, part of the scale. And then others, generally speaking, we're not quite there yet. So I think understanding that and your, what does that mean for me? What might automation mean for me and whatever it is that I choose to do with my time, particularly if it's about monetizing my time, working for money or building a business? What is the role? What are some of the, the kind of scenarios where automation is going to be a big deal? And, you know, how can I ensure that I understand it? How can I ensure that I've got some I understand what that might mean in the business that I own or run or whatever. But also, well, what does that mean for the role that I hold, the job I have? You know, there's been a lot of speculation about that, but not over a super long period of time. Only like five to seven or eight years in a cycle. That's not a lot of time. When we're talking like massive thematic changes, five to seven years is not long. So we're still in that phase and we still haven't seen the degree to which automation will, will profoundly change the world. So understand it. You know, like just figure it out. What what is what is some of the stuff that's happening with automation now? Some of these technologies, like don't have to go deep into AI, artificial intelligence or machine learning, but understanding a little bit of that is important. What other types of things can be automated? And what does that mean for people? Because I think we all need to take a position on, you know, the role we play in the world um, and the things that are uniquely human. That's the first, I've been looking at that for probably about seven or eight years. What does it mean to be uniquely human inside the tech industry? And how long have we got before that will then change again? And the, the number of things in the pyramid of uniquely human things starts to get smaller and higher and higher, right? So that the things that only humans can do is the little bit at the top. That's, I think, a, a frame of reference that's really important. It's a context that we need to understand. Yeah. Okay. So try and identify what what you can possibly do that machines will take the longest to replace you with. Is that your approach? 
Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of yeah, there's lots of stuff out there that give you scales. There's research, there's free research done by a lot of the, the big consulting companies, done by the likes of the Productivity Commission, done some great stuff, freely downloadable reports. Just get your head around it. Where are we at? What where are we at with our labor productivity in this country? You know, this is New Zealand, we're talking about Australia as well. What is and what are the things that determine the labor productivity? What does that mean in the, over a period of decades? Um, it's important stuff. Probably starting to delve into macroeconomics there. It's something I, I love, but yeah, I mean, it's the impact of technology on macroeconomics. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something which which is also a common theme across everyone who I've been talking to is they're trying to take themselves out of the process and out of the delivery as much as possible. They're just trying to keep themselves in the relationships because they know that's something that they can do better than anyone else. They'll keep doing that. It sounds like yeah. you're saying the same thing. That's it. That, that is definitely it. Absolutely. The, at the top of that stack is, is, is probably that. Most other things. Uh, but developing trust and then the, the non-verbal cues that enable trust to be created. Because, um, you know, it's going to be a long time before machines can communicate non-verbally in ways that give us comfort or or accelerate trust building. Um, but it's probably not that long before machines can build trust in the written word or what you hear, what you say, how that's perceived. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. And then once where there's nothing left at the top, it's a different world. <laughs> when machines can do everything better than us, it's a, it's a different world. The other, the other theme that I kind of alluded to, just to touch on it briefly, is is the nature of um, crypto, non-fungible tokens, that kind of stuff. It's important to know that stuff. Mm. Um, DeFi, like decentralized finance, like it's all quite, it's all quite on the edge. It's certainly not at all mainstream. But these are concepts that are really worth understanding. Um, are they critical right now? No, but at some point they perhaps will be. Is there opportunity for people that kind of want to want to take some risk to, to make some money? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's another that I, I think is because it takes a technology domain and it slaps it right on top of something so fundamental to all of our well-being, which is you know the nature of the financial system. So it's it's important to at least you know depending on whether you want it to be in story form or whether you want it to be deeply based in research um, and evidence and like the actual kind of methods and stuff, everything's available to consume out there. And it's generally for free just after a bit of Googling. So I'd really encourage people to do that around cryptocurrency and um, NFTs. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was, I was amazed for my, for myself personally, for example, I've been listening to crypto for a while, but it was only, it was only a couple months ago that I even knew what web 3.0 was. Or even knew that Web 3.0 was a thing, and to think that I've been investing in crypto without knowing that Web 3.0 is actually a transition that the world's going to eventually make was astounding to me. I was clearly missing something massive, and so I guess there's yeah. what you're alluding to is yeah. this ability to identify, uh, kind of identify the the things which you don't know. And so to try and identify those unknowables and I guess you just got to be able to bounce off with other people and continue to do your research and find out what others say rather than yeah. just 
doing things yourself and just hoping you come across it, right? Agree. Yeah, make it the conversation. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, and encourage your friends to do the same. It's a, Look, they're good cerebrally, they're good challenging activities. So, yeah, I totally agree that approach. Cool. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, and maybe I'll just give a bit of a summary of some of the things which I've heard you share. And then you'll have the opportunity to add something else to it or refine it. Uh, but it kind of sounds like your definition of purpose originally or your definition of success was to prove that you're worth something in the system, right? In the system, you were trying to feed it and you figured that the more you feed it, the more successful you are. And you were trying to do that for what, over 20 years or 15, 20 years. And you started to realize that you needed to balance out uh, getting your needs from the system uh, utilizing the resources in the system versus your own happiness and your potential as well. And so we spoke quite a bit about how this idea that uh, I think you said growth is on the other side of pain and you needed to constantly calibrate. I guess it's that calibration is the painful part, right? Realizing that your perception isn't always aligned with reality uh, is where the pain comes through. And then, or maybe the deciding to actually take action on it and then to go through with what you're saying you're going to do is where the pain really comes through. But if you have enough faith in what your purpose is and what you're driven towards, mm. then it's not going to feel like it's not going to feel like as meaningless pain as so many people constantly feel. And so you get so the way that you calibrate, mm. you said that you get really good information, you speak to people who know a lot and the balance. You mentioned someone who you know who has really high EQ and other people who have a whole lot of knowledge and um and a lot of experience in the particular area that you're trying to get support with. Uh, and then you start to look at how you can trust your instincts. And you actually saw that your instincts uh, was kind of like the best, it's like your version of fact, your version of reality is if you're able to trust your instincts mm -hmm. and then apply those patterns, then you can shortcut. You can shortcut risks and pain and you filter out what you don't need. And you just got to make sure that your version of the facts are most aligned with reality. And you started then talking, I think you used the word liberation mm -hmm. and how it's not, it's not just about me, but mm -hmm. other people can also experience this liberation. And so the way that we can have it is by uh, ditching the labels. And so that's a lot of what you're doing at Rear as well. And when you started really talking about uh, leadership, you started talking about how you understand the currency of money and relationships and you've understood understood that for quite a while now but what you've been learning is this currency of purpose uh, which doesn't make as much sense and so sure within leadership you still got to have one person who's accountable to the certain things which they're responsible for and then lean into those superpowers and unleash them on the world and everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses and you've got to understand that uh, but it's no longer just about representing stability and consistency it's about transparency so that everyone can treat you as an equal mm. just as a human like everyone else. And so you started saying that to know when you've got to improve, it's firstly, you've built this safe space, which is your work, and you've also got it at home. And you don't even define work as work. It's a choice to be there. But as soon as you have this low sense of achievement, because you're being vulnerable in the safe spaces, you can very quickly identify whether or not you're sense of achievement and your sense of impact is high or low. And then that's just the warning sign. It's like, you're, you're too comfortable, Nathan, snap out of it. 
use some meditations and journaling, mm. reflect at the end of the year, the middle of the year, <laughs> and that shortest day, dark, deep time, you got to get fired up, right? Work on a new project, do something. <laughs> and and you started saying something really interesting about the tech space, which it kind of sounds like you're applying this in all areas of your life as well, is that you've got to continue learning. You've got to find new things which are on the which are on the edge, on the forefront of what's next. And it's through continuing to learn and continuing to grow allows us to step out of those comfort zones and continue to grow. And that kind of sounds like everything which you've shared in a nutshell can kind of be like address your shadow, right? Identify where your ego is trying to drive everything. And, yes. and then really guide yourself towards what's most frustrating and what seems most challenging and the more resistance you have to it just the more you've got to go towards it because otherwise you're going to get stuck and i think you said it i think you used the words your brain's going to die your body's going to die and if you're not growing then you're just getting closer you and closer die. to death right <laughs> you will die you're dying do you have anything to add to that or clarify or emphasize Um, definitely that that's a pretty good summary, Harry. So, um, yes, find your shadow, lean into it, um, from that master, the master, the voice, we all know what that inner voice says, make sure it's giving you the narrative that you want it to, not the one that your shadow would have it talk, talk to you about, um, to adapt, adapt or die massively. Um, and three, liberate yourself from the machine as soon as you can. And maybe it's sooner than you think. Maybe that point at which you can choose to do the things you really want is worth sacrificing some of that notional wealth that you want to create before you go ahead and do those things. That would be the other like really kind of super amplified message from me. Yeah, okay. That's amazing. Uh, I've got one final question for you. Uh, if you get to, let's just say that you're, I know, let's fast forward 40, 50 years, you're in your 90s. And you're looking back on your life and what you've done with it. What what have you done to know or what needs to have happened to have known that it's been a really successful, purposefully successful life and experience of life? Um, oh, so many things. I think I, my, my number one measure would be love, love and happiness. Um, that'd be the, those would be the things I look to first. Do they feel like they were there? Do I know that they were present to the people important to me every day? Um, and that the things that I thought were important in terms of what my role in the world, why I'm on this earth, um, why I'm here, that I've started them in a way that don't need me anymore so that there's perpetual intergenerational impact from those ideas, um, the movement of change. So. Yeah, <laughs> I know that one. The second one sounds audacious, but why not? Um, that's what we're setting up with the year, and probably other things that we'll do in the future. Setting a perpetual motion of positive change in place. It doesn't need you anymore, and that all you simply did was play your role while you were here. That's what success will look like for me. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing, and thanks for coming on and having this two-hour-long chat. It's been amazing. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Success with Purpose and I also hope that you feel capable to apply some of the perspectives and learnings 
from this episode in your own life. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe below. And until next time, live with purpose.